This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. podcast about the books you've been meaning to read my name is craig my name is andrew this is our book podcast where every week one of us reads a book that we've never read before yep. tells the other person about it mm-hmm. this month february of 20 february sorry of 2024 yep. has been dedicated to all manner of follow-ups sequels threequels squeakles no prequels all the rest we haven't done any prequels no not this month um, anyway no maybe next time yeah but uh, yeah, so we we are revisiting uh, authors and and uh, cinematic universes yeah, that we sure. <laughs> we visited before. Uh, this week, Craig, what did you read? I read Jazz by uh, Toni Morrison. Toni Morrison, I think this author's going to go a long way. Toni, Mo- we of, of <laughs> course covered Toni Morrison's Beloved in episode one fifty eight mm-hmm. and Paradise in episode four oh two. That those are books one and three. In like a loose trilogy of like vibes based yeah. sequels, yeah, yes. th- yeah, yeah. And, and I, I guess I'm what I'm curious about is if you remember why we did the first one and then the third one and skipped the second one, except for like a very vague sense I've gotten as I've read about this book it, that it's like slightly maybe like tougher or like harder to pin down than the other two. I don't know. Well, the first one, beloved is a a novel I had ever heard of and like uh-huh. fits the classic bill of our podcast which is pretty well-known book by well-known author what you know award-winning yada 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 what is their book well beloved is one of their is one of Tony's books mm-hmm. we got to read it for Tony's our books. show right hey tony do i think- just <laughs> You know, I keep all of my I make all of my notes for the show in my uh, iCloud notes app. That's not an yeah. endorsement. It's just what I do. Yeah, me too. Yeah. It's for apologies and for show notes. <laughs> and so I and it goes back pretty far, like on this, like I think 2016 or so. Um, I would intermittently for a while make an effort to delete delete like old notes that I didn't think I was going to use anymore. I don't know. Like I haven't done it in any kind of a consistent way. So mostly it just manifests as me knowing that I wrote something about something once and then not being able to find it again later. <laughs> well, so it's easy for me to just type paradise into my notes app mm-hmm. and I see a, an episode from February 2020. And it says, Paradise by Tony Morrison. Tony Morrison, episode 158, dash, Andrew's chair broke, hashtag a chair for my Andrew. So we must have done hashtag a chair for my Andrew in episode 158, I think is what that note says. Is this, is, <laughs> is this from our super cool and well-conceived phase where we thought that offering up our personal show notes was a good Patreon um, That might have patrons. still been happening, yeah. That okay, because I don't know if, we, if that was like written for an audience or... No, that, I think that was for. just for me. Okay. I think I was prepping an intro where I reminded mm-hmm. us of things that we did, which is what we're doing right now. It's jazz, baby. Well, rip and piece my chair from several years yep. ago. Um, 
So I definitely wanted to cover... I don't remember why we covered Paradise. I don't know if it was just... I wanted to talk about Morrison again. Um, and and it's sort of why I'm back here. Because I wanted to talk yeah. about Morrison again. I realized that, that, that this was fitting the sequel bill in an interesting mm-hmm. way. I mean, maybe we just were thinking about the game Monopoly. Because you know what it includes is a paradise. Yeah. Also landlords. Um also landlords. Also landlords. <laughs> uh, um, and from what I <laughs> I thought you could get madder at me about the thing that I said. <laughs> my my like loose like sense of why this works. There's a lot of things about these three books as I as I can recall from the other two. Um that kind of tie them together just in terms of the blackest experience in America post slavery. And then going into like the mid 20th century, I think I can't remember when exactly paradise takes place, Mm -hmm. but they all have a sense of like, where do we go next? Like all, all the characters in the books have like, you know, direct one or two generations at most, if not their own personal experience to slavery here in America and so they are like, okay, well, what is, what life can I lead now that I am free, or mm-hmm. or now that I might be free, mm-hmm. or in the case of jazz, it is what what can we do now that we are moving into Harlem and we're experiencing the Harlem Renaissance and we're moving sure. into the city. The, the city is capitalized in this book, city capital mm-hmm. C, mm-hmm. Um, or paradise is we're going to go build our own community in the upper midwest you know go west and what will become of us out there um Mm -hmm. so the these three books tie together that way and so once i cracked this book i was like oh yeah i don't think i'd read morrison talking about harlem at all even though I've, Mm -hmm. i've read other books set in that time so that that was kind of neat to encounter and realize that that was something I hadn't experienced before. Yeah, there there was some stuff in um. So when so Tony Tony Morrison, we we won't do the full author bio. Born nineteen thirty one, died twenty. Born nineteen thirty one, yeah. died in twenty nineteen. Yeah, relatively recently. Uh, won the Pulitzer Prize for Beloved in nineteen eighty seven, and then um when she won the Nobel Prize in Literature in nineteen ninety three, I think Jazz was like the most recent or one of the most recent yes. things she mm-hmm. had, she had put out. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, best known works, aside from the ones we've been talking about already, are The Bluest Eye, which came out in 1970, uh, Sula from 73, and Song of Solomon in 77, I read among others. Sula in college. That might have been the only Morrison I'd read before we started the show, which is mm-hmm. a bummer. But um, but so when she died in 2019, um, Fresh Air, the NPR show, did yep. a a podcast they, they, well they had, <laughs> they had done three interviews with her over over the course of many years ah. and so they they like republished all of those and i was reading a transcript of them and she was she was talking about the like the experience of as as like black people moving from rural areas into the city as yeah. like a kind of a way to find community and like be in a place where there are a bunch of people who look like you and like being in a city, like there is an anonymity to it, but also like no matter what your deal is, there's probably like a hundred people. Uh, uh, what does she say? <laughs> and however eccentric you are, there are you know at least one hundred other people who are eccentric in precisely the same way, so that no, so that one has solitude, solitariness, 
individuality and community in a city. Oh man. <laughs> kind of neat. Kind of a neat riff on what being in a city is like. That's true. Cuz I completely feel that, yeah. You know, listen, you go into a you know, a, a hobbyist store in a rural town, are they going to have enough Pokemon cards for well, you? I don't know. That's the thing is like if I go into a Meyer in my hometown, yeah, in Ohio to go get toothpaste, it's like a coin flip if I'm going to run into somebody who I New in high school. Yeah, sure. And if I go into the Acme in Philadelphia, it's like, well, I'm never going to see any of these people again, ever. <laughs> no matter how many times I go back to this exact same Acme, like at this exact time of day, at this exact time of the week. <laughs> Which is kind of there's like a freeingness to it. But then you get the community, too, because then somebody comes over the intercom on the Acme and is like, hey, go E-A-G-L-E-S Eagles, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Uh, having lived in one part, like one general neighborhood of the city for over a decade now, I, I, there was a month, a few months ago, that's how months work, mm-hmm. where I did run into someone I knew at the Acme like two or three weeks in a row. Like the same person? Yes. Well, what? Yes. This has never happened to me before. I, it'll never happen again. Anyway, Tony Morrison's jazz. Um, the Nobel Pro- <laughs> the Nobel Committee said in their press release when they gave her the award in her latest novel, Jazz uh, (parentheses 1992) close parentheses. Tony Morrison uses a device which is akin to the way jazz itself is played. The book's first lines provide a synopsis, and in reading the novel, one becomes aware of a narrator who varies, embellishes, and intensifies. The result is a richly complex, sensuously conveyed image of the events, the characters, and moods. Mm-hmm. I like jazz music. The music? I have ever played. The, the music that originated in New Orleans in like the early to mid-1910s and then, and then became more popular into the 1920s and 30s, which are colloquially known as the jazz age, which oh. was also... Defined by the rise of the, the rise of radio and prohibition, that like that jazz music. That jazz. Sometimes the, I forget that we just called it the jazz age. The jazz age, and is it the same jazz music that is difficult to define because of how many flavors of it there are? But um, improvisation is usually considered to be a bedrock element. Um, and like rock and roll, it was often picked up and popularized by white artists after originating in the black community. Is that jazz? Yeah. Is that the kind of jazz you're talking about? Yeah, I'm talking about the jazz that Britannica.com said any attempt to arrive at a precise, all-encompassing definition of jazz is probably futile. <laughs> okay, cool. That, that music. That's, just, that, yes. that's why I needed to make sure that we were talking about the same jazz. Yes, I'm glad that you, mm-hmm. yes. Um, and, and, maybe why I read, and why I read the notes that I myself <laughs> took about Definitely. jazz For as though sure. I was reading the dictionary definition of jazz. Uh-huh, of course. Okay. You wrote that. Right, so jazz, you like jazz. You play jazz. Yeah, I played jazz in high school. You're a jazz, you're a jazz man. Um. And 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 yet I would say that I am not I am not a polished jazz musician. I'm not like a I'm not I'm not a very good musician. I'm a I mean, I haven't I've have not I've neither seen nor heard you play the trumpet in all of our no. years of friendship, even though I know I stopped that, that playing was the... the trumpet when I got to college and started singing jazz instead. Baby. Yeah. Um, your, your the your neck trumpet. Yeah. <laughs> <Ew>. <laughs> your, the old throat trumpet. Um, people the in hum- this, the human the, voice. Listen, I know it, it was probably part of the jazz age, but there's a couple of times where you know uh, clarinets are referred to as licorice sticks in this book, and I know that that is a Ew. thing, but it is also meant in the other way. 
uh, both in this book and in the world. Just need to share that. Um, that makes me like clarinets less because I don't like black licorice. I hate licorice. No, no red licorice. Well, I know you got a candy thing, but like, there, I I did go through a red licorice phase, like a vine where, whip. You know, did you were you ever familiar with those like big tubs of Twizzlers pulling peels that they Ew, would do? Gro- those things <laughs> gross me out so much. I yeah, I was a big. I loved to pull and peel. Sometimes you wouldn't even pull and peel it, though. Sometimes it's like, this is a big log of mushy red sugar that I'm going to eat. Why did I say I played jazz music once? Um, because <laughs> I it's improvisation. will probably this what, miss... This is honoring the spirit of jazz. I will probably miss parts of this book in which Morrison is trying to imitate structurally and tonally how jazz works. She, You mm-hmm. know, she says... Um, multiple times in her forward uh, that she this was a goal of the piece. I wanted the work to be a manifestation of the music's intellect, sensuality, anarchy, its history, its range, and its modernity. She talks about um, jazz being this music that is rooted in, you know, a similar tradition to the blues and, and other black art forms that uh, Many of them are speaking to the pain of slavery and things like that. But for her, jazz has this kind of, you know, really freewheeling optimism about what is possible and and openness. And that that is here in the book, too. But I will probably not be able to, having only read the book once and and not really, um, you know, I am not... uh, I'm I'm not a professional jazz musician. I just need to, you know, confess that. That's mm, well, that's disappointing. It, <laughs> I may have given off that impression, um, but I am not. And so there are probably ways in which she is artfully um, imitating jazz or incorporating it that I just won't get to speak to in you know this podcast here today. But this is going to be a really big. It would departure be from yeah. This will be a big departure from our normal thing because no, often we come into these books like as a subject matter expert on. Oh yeah, most of the time the books are about us, and we are just yeah. you know mm-hmm. relaying relaying our own experience. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> I said optimism, and you peeked up. I think that was that a thing. Oh no, it was just about? like I I read about there. There was a big uh, New York Times style magazine piece okay. uh, that came out in 2022, which. I mean, I found useful as somebody who didn't have access to the book or its introduction, but it does seem like it's mostly just rewriting the introduction to Jazz by Toni Morrison, so you, I don't really know what the deal is with it this, is. Is um, how Toni Morrison wrote her most challenging novel? Yes. Yeah, by Morgan Parker. So I yes. did and find it that... Just parapha- it just paraphrases the, the intro. Maybe it like boils it down in a helpful way. I, I, found it, I found it helpful in boiling down a very challenging novel. Before okay, talking fair. about it for my book podcast. Okay, did I mean did you read the introduction also? Also, or? yes. Okay, but right, I, right, I, right. I I read the introduction. I read the novel. I then read this article in addition to other prep, and I did find this article useful in being like, wait, what happened in the book? Yeah, again? Can, can like can we focus it down to whatever the like core elements? Yeah, are? yeah. Just that in, in her intro to the to the book, Morrison talks a little bit about unreasonable optimism. She tells a like. I think we must have talked about it on one of our previous Morrison episodes, but she tells the story of an episode in her life where her family's landlord burned down their home because they couldn't pay rent. And her family chose to laugh in his face about it instead of 
you know, being beaten down by it. And this is just like this concept of unreasonable optimism. It's something she likes about jazz. It's about, it's about being optimistic in the face of, of things that should really like squeeze all the optimism out of you, like logically. So I'm kind of curious how this attitude manifests in the novel, given that she mentions it in the, in the intro and, yeah, that's. I'm glad you mentioned that. That's actually really useful, mm-hmm. um, but won't won't make sense to to talk about it out of context. But I do think there, this book has a has a uh, a, a well meaning ending, uh, an ending where th- where characters are in a decent place mm-hmm. a, in a way that kind of su- can surprise you based on where the book starts, and then okay. that. That was kind of neat. Um, sure. And I, before we take our break, I'll just share that she was inspired to write this book uh, by a photograph that she had seen um, during her time as an editor at Random House. She was the first black female editor um, in fiction at Random House. That's and, so random. Oh, what if a penguin just walked in? That'd be so random. <laughs> so random. Uh, and what I if think Hoopton that's also and Mifflin were there. <laughs> where she came across. <laughs> Um, the the article that inspired Beloved as well, but it was a a, a picture of a young woman um, in a coffin, uh, like at you know at her uh, funeral service, I think, mm-hmm. and uh, she there was a note from the photographer. Um, she includes this in the foreword. She was the one I think was shot by her sweetheart at a party with a noiseless gun. She complained of being sick at the party, and friends said, well, why don't you lay down? And they took her in the room and laid her down. After they undressed her and loosened her clothes, they saw the blood on her dress. They asked her about it, and she said, I'll tell you tomorrow. Yes, I'll tell you tomorrow. She was just trying to give him a chance to get away. For the picture, I placed the flowers on her chest. And that is that is the the nugget of this whole book, mm-hmm. which is not a very big book. Um but she took that and kind of said, okay, well, then I guess that will be my story. <laughs> um, so, like, we'll talk about the the love. It's not even really a love triangle, but, like, the trio of characters that drive it and, and the girl from that picture is one of them. Sure. Okay. So, uh, should we take a break first? Yeah, we should, for sure. Okay, let's do it. Andrew, you may think that healthy eating, sort of like jazz, is about the foods you don't eat. But I'm here to tell you that it's actually about what you do eat and that delicious, ready-to-eat meals from Factor make eating better every day easy. Does that sound good to you? Yeah, it sounds like that's that's music to my ears. Hey, Craig, you're a busy person, Andrew. You've got a lot going on. Why not be ready with pre-prepared, chef-crafted, and dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door? Why not? My door? No, that's close. Hep cat? You'll have My over 30, right downstairs. 35 different options a week to choose from. Keto, calorie smart, vegan and veggie, and more. And there's even more to enjoy with over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons that help make your weekly meal planning even more delicious. Andrew, what are you waiting for? I don't I don't know. Exactly. Get started today and have a feel-good week of meals ready to go. Just fuel up fast with Factor's two-minute, no-prep, no-mess meals that are ready to be eaten when you want to eat them. You don't have to wait. You just eat them right then yeah. and right yeah. there. They've yeah. got snacks, smoothies, healthy stuff. 
to get you through the midday munchies. It's affordable and flexible. It's less expensive than takeout, and it's easy to adjust the number of meals per week that you receive. Andrew, I bet you want to factor this into your meal planning. Yes. Yes, I do. Get it? Yeah. Head to factormeals.com slash overdue50 and use code overdue50 to get 50% off. That's code overdue50 at factormeals.com slash overdue50 to get 50% off. Andrew, you like books? Yeah, I love them. Great. Famously. <laughs> been talking about them for hundreds and hundreds of hours. Well, you will be uh, chuffed to know that we are supported by an upcoming book this week. Uh, Juliana Ray Nice Warner and her upcoming collection, Eavesdrop. Finally, books are giving something back to us yeah. after all these years. <laughs> Eavesdrop invites readers to stand in the shadows and observe the private conversations of a varied cast of characters across time and geographical space. And they do this through a dozen short stories and one novella. Uh, the short stories come from Nice Warner's Conversations series, which parse out the meaning in seemingly meaningless moments and capture the frustrating fascination of catching pieces of strangers' conversations. Like, you know, when you're sitting in a park and you're like, what did that person just say? <laughs> and it's one of my favorite, like, experiences of being That alive. is the thing that Su Susanna is... Like every time we walk past somebody who's like standing outside of a bus yelling on their phone or something, she's like, I, I need to know everything. everything about what this person is talking about and what the other person thinks. And I need just need to know everything about it. And yes. I'm going to think about it for the rest of the day. So you might like this collection then, which also includes the novella Family Dynamics and Good Medicine, which is set in England in the 1920s and follows a weary Mrs. Higgins and her four children as they navigate life in misadventure with their father away in India. Oh, Mrs. Higgins, I hope it turns out okay for you. This collection is published through a new and thriving independent publisher, Hartsfield Press, and it's available in print through Barnes & Noble, Amazon, and more on uh, as of January 30th. It's already out there. What are you doing? Hey, and it just it. it just hit eBooks on February 13th. Man, you got to tune in. You got to go get it. For more information, head to julianicewarner.com. That's nice, N-I-C-E, Warner, W-A-R-N-E-R, julianicewarner.com. Okay, now we're back. We're back from our break. Whoa. <laughs> so, okay, you... you... <laughs> <laughs> and again, you pick where in post, you pick wherever you want to pick this up. You mentioned having a in reading the summary of the introduction to mm -hmm. the book Jazz by Toni Morrison. You mentioned having a difficult time. And I wonder what I wonder if you can elaborate on that. Yeah, because I, d Difficult time doesn't mean you're not enjoying yourself. No, difficult no. time, I think in our context, sometimes means. Well, how am I going to talk about this for an hour? <laughs> and it's not even <laughs> because that I'm, I, uh, yeah, it's, it's not yeah. even that I wouldn't necessarily have things to say. I do sometimes when I'm halfway through a book, and I think people who are listening to the show who are like participate in book clubs or read things for class or sure. something can identify mm -hmm. with this, mm -hmm. where you're enjoying a book, but you're not necessarily sure that if somebody asked you about specific parts of it, that you would be like just able to just grab whatever yeah. thing they asked about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's, that's what I mean. I don't mean that there's not an hour's worth of material to talk about here because, of, of course, there is. It's just like, how are we yeah. two, two idiots yeah. going to talk about this in a way that is even like modestly authoritative for 
60 minutes. Yeah. And, and so, so sometimes you come up with like just like long meandering sentences and sorry about <laughs> Twizzler Pool and Peels that just kind of like fill time <laughs> to kind of lighten the load on yourself a little bit. A little bit, you know. Just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think one of the things that that article reminded me about was the strength of the opening. Um, and I did find a blog at the bookpeopleblog.com mm-hmm. um, that is a longer blog post about just sentence you know powerful sentences or examples of successful paragraphs and and short passages in literature and this book does have a pretty going back to it being a a a piece of jazz music say Mm -hmm. um it has a pretty distinct like opening paragraph that i'll just i'll read to you right here yeah hit me um i know that woman she used to live with a flock of birds on lennox avenue know her husband too he fell for an 18-year-old girl with one of those deep-down, spooky loves that made him so sad and happy he shot her just to keep the feeling going. When the woman, her name is Violet, went to the funeral to see the girl and to cut her dead face, they threw her to the floor and out of the church. She ran through all that snow, and when she got back to her apartment, she took the birds from their cages and set them out the windows to freeze or fly, including the parrot that said, I love you. Woo. Woo. They cut her face? So to her recap, corpse, her corpse face to recap. <laughs> yes. Uh, the narrator is telling us about a woman who lives on Lenox Avenue, New York, in Harlem. She has a husband. Her husband is cheating on her with some young girl. Mm-hmm. And uh, he killed the girl. And then at the funeral, the woman, Violet, cut her f- her corpse face at the service and then ran away and like wow. that's a, i mean a power move it's something <laughs> yeah um and that is kind of the the like event through which the rest of the book is run is like mm-hmm. um dorcas is the young girl d o r c a s uh she is the young girl who is killed um and we meet her aunt we get some of the backstory of her family. We get uh, Joe, Tr- Joe Trace, his name is. Okay, sounds um, like a cool detective. Well, so Joe Trace, we do get a lot of his family backstory as well. Uh, he was an orphan and was adopted growing up, and his adopted mother told him that his parents left him without a trace, which he said was him. And so he took the name Joe Trace. That is some Han like, oh, Solo. Oh, you're travel. You're traveling alone, are you? You're a real Han Solo. Listen, <laughs> listen. Han Solo stole it from Jazz by Johnny Morrison. Statistically, it's a you of all the Star Wars movies we could be talking about right now. You, the listener, are the least likely to have seen Solo, a Star yep. Wars story. So there is a dumb section where he's like passing through a TSA checkpoint alone and some guy is just like, oh, traveling solo, are you? Because don't you remember watching the first <laughs> Star Wars movies in the 80s and you were like, man, that Harrison Ford is smoking. He's so cool. I, not literally smoking. He's just smoking hot. And but I just so like cool. wonder, I wonder how he got his name. Solo? That's I like never a, a thought, real English where word. did he get his name? Yeah, where did he get his name? Solo. Hmm. No so one serious. ever asked that. No one ever anyway. Asked. Jazz by Toni Morrison. Jazz by Toni Morrison. Um, and Violet is the wife who cuts Dorcas's face at the service. Violet, we also get some of her backstory as well. Um, we get the most on, on Joe and Violet. And that I think getting a little lost in their backstories is what 
made me grateful for resources like that New York Times article just to kind of ground myself in what the book was trying to do. Because it jumps around a lot. Yes. Like it's, it does. That's part of the way in which it mirrors jazz is it's, it's kind of back and forth and forward and backward. Yeah. yeah. And I think both of us may wind up over the course of an hour here being guilty of kind of flippantly being like, it's like jazz because I don't know other, any other way to say it. It's like, Listen, if she didn't want us to compare it to the music jazz, she wouldn't have called the book jazz by Toni Morrison. I just mean that I can't. Which was the title that she came up with. This book is called Jazz by Toni Morrison. Here's here's my attempt to make a a deeper it's like jazz comment. So this paragraph. At least once, I guess. This paragraph lays out like the primary plot of the book. Mm -hmm. Um, It tells you up front what happened and then you get a little bit more of joe and violet's story which is how the book closes but the bulk of the novel is um some of the events leading up to what happened some of their whole family backstory and so you get this opening statement that is almost like the beginning of a jazz song where you hear the melody you get the original version maybe it's like i got rhythm or something you get the so it's the thing that the rest of the song is going to be riffing on exactly yes. and so you okay. get a full kind of without any adornment or variation you get boom the melody and and the original verse of whatever it happened and then mm-hmm. the song spends the rest of the time iterating on that free you know free associating bringing in different things and that that is what can make it a little disorienting. That kid is what can make it a little exciting because the book never really backed. But for a book that tells you what it's about up front, it never really felt like it was backtracking. She keeps mm-hmm. surprising you with who the perspective might be and things like that. Um, though th- there's a caveat there. Uh, the book has a weird narrator going on okay. where it's not a it there isn't a person that the narrated voice is it's not told from one character's perspective and you're never really in any character's head okay um it'll alternate between what feels like a pretty objective third person narrator and this kind of conversational basically the voice of the paragraph that i just read this kind of conversational mm-hmm. First person-y, sort of gossipy, sort of judgy narrative voice that feels like it's going to be a character. Like, it feels like mm-hmm. it's like, oh, is it going to be, this is all going to be from Dorcas's perspective or something, like some weird reveal like that at the end. And that never happens. And she talks about in her foreword that she it took her a while to crack the narrative voice she had the structure she had the characters she had what she wanted to explore she yeah. just didn't know how to talk about it and yeah. instead was like i can what if i just let the character talk let, let the narrator talk as if they are a character but then i never actually have to deliver on that in like a concrete way mm-hmm. that's um, the cool thing about being an author is you can just kind of decide to do it whatever. is <laughs> yeah. and and i've seen some you know i've seen some favorable comparisons to that uh, that make that narrator like, well, that's the jazz baby part of it. Like, that's just what, you know, she's kind of just doing what the novel needs when it needs it. Mm-hmm. You can it make some other inferences thematically on does the city have this kind of 
personality that is witnessing the events of the novel Mm -hmm. um and so you're hearing it from her perspective and some or some other kind of super not supernatural you know what i mean like some kind of Mm -hmm. larger force um i think it's best to just be like this isn't tony morrison talking but this is kind of an ageless woman who exists in this world telling me things and she can go wherever she wants and say whatever she needs to say yeah sure um and it, that New York Times article also kind of dives into like what it the paragraph opens with STH, which is just kind of like a it's like a I noticed. Yeah, I don't t- know if there's like a canonical pronunciation of that or if you just kind of are meant to say it phonetically. Yeah, like I, it, it, it's like a little bit of judgment. Um, it, it's, that almost, is, it's almost like a ch, but not like not really. It's like a, you're like sucking on your teeth. You're like, ooh. Mm, that happened? Yeah. Ah, mm-hmm. uh, you know. <laughs> we sound nuts <laughs> right now. making weird plosive noises into our microphones. <laughs> Best podcast practices. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, so from the jump, this book has this amazing launch, and then, and then it kind of riffs out from there. And then... Yeah, I don't know. I could go into character sketches is maybe that's like the best way to to summarize a book that is a little all over the place. And yeah, I sure. You know, it's not yeah. whenever I say a book is all over the place, I feel like I'm saying it as a pejorative and I don't mean that. No, 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 no. It's just like it is listen. Jazz by Toni Morrison. It's like the music jazz, which means by nature it's going to be maybe a little unfocused or you could use the the word unfocused to describe it, and it doesn't it doesn't mean that it's bad. And it Exploring mean, the space, baby. Yeah, like it. I feel like part of evaluating whether a book is like quote good or not is like is it does does it accomplish what it is setting out to do? Oh and yeah. And it feels like any unfocusedness that this book is doing is it succeeding in what it decided it wanted to do? Yeah, like and- as a book. And unfocused may not even be the right. I think Morrison is laser focused on what she wants to talk about. I think it is more that like the book isn't too concerned with the connections feeling neat and tidy. Yeah, maybe maybe unfocused is maybe, maybe it's more of a nonlinear experience. That like is actually sort yes. Of a, sort there of we PlayStation, go. PlayStation RPG kind of. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna thing. get different endings. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have the three characters that I talked about earlier. We have Violet, we have Joe Trace, and we have Dorcas. Who do you want to hear Joe about Trace. first? Tell me more about Dorcas because, <laughs> okay. man, that name. It's not a name I'm, I'm super familiar with. So, Well, I mean, I'm just familiar with calling people Dorcases. Like, you're being a Dorcas right now. Yeah. That's maybe I maybe I maybe that will take on a different meaning for us once we've discussed <laughs> would... the character Dorcas some more. Yeah, so she is a young woman. This is the book the the events of the book I think like the the murder or the death of Dorcas rather is New Year's Day <laughs> the death uh, of the Dorcas of 1926, I believe. Mm-hmm. Okay. And squarely we squarely in the jazz age. Yes. Um not we're not in full on in the Great Depression yet. Um, and we are almost 10 years hence from, uh, are we 10 years hence? We're, we're out from World War One. World War One kind of looms large on this book as well, because we World have this... Yeah, World War One will have been over, but not yes. for it. Not for it. Well, and there World are, like, there are veterans in the street protesting their 
mistreatment. There sure. are okay. there are veterans in the community who have benefited from you know what has happened, uh, like their service and what that has given them. There, the explanation for these, um, you know, majority black or all black communities in these parts of the city are that like during the war, uh, people didn't have money uh and you know like there's like kind of complicated economy that is explained in terms of like landlords just needed anybody to move in and people Mm -hmm. who might otherwise have been very uh bigoted in who they would allow to rent from them uh were willing to you know let anybody move in from their perspective sure. sure um and then so these characters like you said earlier many of them are moving from rural areas from areas further west further south moving into the city for all manner of reasons one of which that they discover while they're there is that they are now in a community of mostly people like them um and kind of building a a culture and um you know black people own businesses and this and it's not the that is not the lived experience for many of the people who are there sure okay so Dorcas winds up in the city because uh, her parents died in a fire in St. Louis, mm-hmm. which is cool, um, or died during the East St. Louis. E- there were the East St. Louis riots in 1917. I looked this up briefly. It looks like it sucked. There were workers. <laughs> well, it, just to understatement of the podcast. There were workers who this were is, striking. Give you, give you a show on the History Channel. Man, like this one, this looks like it sucked. <laughs> That'd be better than Ancient Aliens. I'd rather the History Channel were just really blunt about real yeah, things. Yeah, just like, oh man, Triangle Shirtwaist Fire? Ugh, I, yes. wouldn't be, I wouldn't want to be there, man. Ugh. As opposed Ooh. to like, you know, <laughs> Hitler's still alive painting in Bermuda or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, there were white workers that were striking, and then the companies that they were striking against started hiring and exploiting black workers who had arrived through the great migration uh and then a bunch of racial violence broke out as white workers started attacking black men and other black members of the community okay so pretty bad um or as the history channel would say it sucked uh and (laughs) that's where dorcas lived uh and her family or her parents perished um i don't think either of them were like directly killed in the violence is it's more the book is like the violence spilled over in ways that is never going to be fully recorded by history sort of stuff okay um so she moves to the city with her aunt um and alice who is more conservative than any of the other characters we spend time with in the book uh she finds jazz music uh to be the worst she calls it low down stuff that signaled the imminent demise (laughs) okay you know yeah i mean <laughs> um, okay yeah show show me uh, uh like a middle-aged person's reaction to any new any like perceptibly new kind of music and yeah I think that's, there's, that's i don't have the get. quote to hand there's a reference not a reference there's there's something that morrison says briefly in the foreword where like i think some of the anxiety about jazz music that we see through aunt alice is supposed to be like music in this black community is really tied to the church is really and and that is a a bond that has strengthened those communities in the face of adversity so you have this woman for whom like whatever this openness and new stuff like it is 
taking people away from what has got them to this place thus far. Like that, mm-hmm. that is where that the charitable reading of, of her conservatism here on that front. Okay. Um, she is, you know, now in charge of an 18 year old or, you know, for the last several years, a younger girl and is trying to keep her safe and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but here's a, here's a pretty good, uh, <laughs> paragraph that outlines how that's kind of impossible. We get a few statements of like, Alice is like the, the type of surrogate parent who will tell kids like, Here's a story about why you shouldn't, you know, fall in love with a man too young and because it'll ruin your life and uh, you'll be pining for him forever. You know, you will wind up, uh, you know, chasing him to the ends of the earth or whatever. And a girl like Dorcas just hears, wow, that's really romantic. That sounds great. Like to, <laughs> to have a love that strong is really interesting, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but here's here's the quote. While her aunt worried about how to keep the heart ignorant of the hips and the head in charge of both, Dorcas lay on a chenille bedspread, tickled and happy, knowing that there was no place to be where someone where somewhere close by, somebody was not licking his licorice stick, tickling the ivories, beating his skins, blowing off his horn, while a knowing woman sang, ain't nobody gonna keep me down. You got the right key, baby, but the wrong keyhole. You gotta get it, bring it, and put it right here or else. That's all jazz. They're talking about jazz yeah, they're music. About jazz. They're talking about jazz music. And jazz instruments. I was paying attention to the number of entendres that were involved in all yep. of that, and I think there's just one. There's never. No, I don't. I don't no. detect multiple entendres. That would, in fact, be a double entendre. But you're right. There's none here. There's none here. Um, and so that's that's the place that Dorcas is operating from. Sure. <laughs> and <laughs> and you get like kind of references to, and I don't know how literal this is, but like, just people are just either they're playing their records and then you can hear your neighbors playing music through the window or there are people on their rooftop just like playing their trumpet for fun just like this music is ever present in the neighborhood that they're in mm-hmm. um and so it is going to from Alice's perspective infect or from Dorcas's perspective kind of like enrich their lives as they as they just move about space. Okay. Um and the and then like we don't talk about Dorcas like directly for most of the book. Um well cuz she Dorcas was dead to begin with. She like, was dead to like... begin <laughs> with and it isn't until um kind of the climax of the novel that we get stuff from close to her perspective where we actually mm-hmm. see her get shot sort mm-hmm. of um, does that does that make it almost feel like a like a cold open kind of thing where like dorcas is dead and her face gets cut open and then you zoom out to other perspectives i bet you're wondering how i got here sort of thing. yes right yeah a, is it like a that? little bit because you are wondering when i'm when if ever you're gonna get uh that's part of the story especially as she dives further and further back on joe and violet's family history and you're wondering is there going to be a neat and tidy way that connects these things to what happened to dorcas and there isn't Mm -hmm. really Mm -hmm. and then you get kind of the uh the driving 
more focused narrative of like, okay, we're back on the Dorcas train. We're going to see what happened to her. I'm not going to show you the actual like gun going off, which is a thing that I was very, I was kind of impressed that Morrison was like, I'm just going to skip it. I'm going to mm-hmm. just skip to the part where she has a bullet in her. She's dancing and then there's a bullet in her and mm-hmm. I'm moving on. Um, and then you get the last uh, few scenes of Joe and Violet together. So like, yeah, that that is a like, well, I'm reading this book kind of expecting that we're going to go back there, but it gives her yeah. leeway to go all sorts of other places first. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, Joe or Violet, Andrew? Uh, let's do Joe. Let's do Joe. Okay, great. Joe Trace. Joe Trace. The coolest name in the book. I it is. Com- pretty confident. Yeah. Uh, Joe Trace, pretty cool name. Another cool name is, um, well, Henry LeTroy is a guy who helped raise Joe, sort of. Mm-hmm. But and, then he, nickname, and then he invented seltzer. <laughs> His nickname is Hunter's Hunter, uh huh. Which I think is maybe the second coolest name in the book. Yeah, because he's good at the, hunting. Who who hunts the hunters? Uh, Joe, uh, like Violet, I believe they're from rural Virginia. I think I I'm not misremembering that. Um, further south, obviously, than the city. They're south of Baltimore. Um, and like I said, Joe, uh was an orphan raised by another family. Um, we find this out kind of later in the novel uh, that he did spend time like trying to find his mother. There was a story that was told to him that his mother might be this woman that everyone just calls wild because uh, mm-hmm. she's just a lady that just is out. She's just out there. She's not part mm-hmm. of society. She's just running around out in the woods mm-hmm. and, uh, one day, another character who we meet through through some other stories found her, and she was pregnant, and that is probably Joe, but mm-hmm. he never gets like a clean confirmation of that fact, sure. mm-hmm. um, and and never gets to like talk to her about it or anything like that. Not not in a way that is satisfying to him. Mm-hmm. Um, but he meets Violet. I think if I remember correctly, he like falls out of a tree. Because he was napping in a tree and like <laughs> falls on the floor next to her, and then cool. they, you know, get to talking. It's like, um, a, like a real cartoon hillbilly move. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> um, and they're both working, you know, on land in, in rural Virginia in the late 1900s, I think, at this point. Because um, mm-hmm. they're, they're older, they're like in their 50s, I think. Um, and they move into the city. Um, and it's at this point when we meet them in the, in the mid 1920s, their marriage is fine. Okay. 20 years after Joe and Violet train danced on into the city, they were still a couple, but barely speaking to each other, let alone laughing together or acting like the ground was a dance hall floor. Convinced that he alone remembers those days and wants them back, aware of what it looked like, but not at all of what it felt like, he coupled himself elsewhere. Tony Morrison. Okay, so so it doesn't. It doesn't sound like their marriage is fine, though. It's not. It really sounds like it fine. still exists as a legal entity, but it does not sound like it's fine. 
they're both having troubles with it. I just really like the line where she, convinced that he alone remembers those. It's just yes, right. such a an insightful description of how people operate within relationships. Where yeah, because you... like, why why would I talk to my partner about what they wanted? Yep. Yep. <laughs> and the fact that he feels that way in the first place is a really really good. A descriptor of one of the things that is wrong with that relationship. <laughs> yep. And the book is pretty clear. The book takes pains to to let you like Joe and Violet both, mm-hmm. and that um, the people struggle with Violet, and we'll talk about her in a few minutes. But yeah. Joe is that's that's one of the reasons I didn't choose Violets. Why? Mm. Oh. Yeah, I, I just wanted to say choose violence. Anyway, <laughs> please continue. Um, Joe, uh, I I think he has some other jobs, but one of the main jobs we see him do is like do door to door, um, like perfume and other ladies' products sales. And when he goes into, he meets Dorcas because he goes into her aunt's place um, and starts selling his wares to them. And he's described as a guy who makes everyone around him feel safe, that all the women flirt with him because they don't think that he would actually do anything, that and that he is genuine about that. Um and that he he he's good at selling things like that because he isn't ever flirting with women. He isn't mm-hmm. ever trying to use them. The way from from Joe's perspective and from the narrator's perspective when he falls for Dorcas, um, he has certainly opened his his mind and heart to the possibility of, you know, being with someone other than Violet. But mm-hmm. it isn't just that he's out there like just looking to sleep around. He is mm-hmm. he is an unsatisfied man looking for another connection. And what does he say? He says something to like he doesn't he doesn't he didn't fall in love with Dorcas. He rose in love to her. Like there's just Ooh. That's yeah, a, that's a turning on its head in a way that you don't normally. It's hear. really it, there's some really good language for how he feels about it in a way that is like, yes, I know you step out on your wife and that's bad. Um, yeah, but Morrison has some you know feeling for him, right? Um, and yeah, he takes out a room in his neighbor's apartment. Like he pays her a little bit of money so that he can bring Dorcas there. And he's always given Dorcas gifts, and over time she just kind of is like, "This, I don't like this. I like uh-huh. this." She, she wants somebody who other young women want, and mm-hmm. and ultimately, what leads to the violent New Year's Day is that she has told Joe that she's done with him. Her exact words are really mean, and says that like he makes her sick of herself. Um, which she hasn't like done anything explicitly wrong to her. She just is 18 and wants to not be with a 50 year old man who everyone, like her one friend is like, this is kind of weird. Yeah. (laughs) sure. She wants, you know, she is on New Year's day. She's dancing with this guy, younger guy acting who treats her like garbage, but like is hot enough that everyone in her life is like, Ooh, you're with him. Mm." Mm -hmm. Um, and we never get a pretty clear explanation for what Joe is thinking when he goes there with a gun and sh- shoots her. He's just like, he was raised by Hunter's Hunter. He is a hunter at his heart. 
and hunter, hunter of hunter of what hunter of well he, he just is a tracker like he just like he gets into a mindset of when he's searching for something and that's the best explanation we're given of like why he had a gun with him in the first place is like that's what you have with you when you're hunting you're like mm-hmm. okay uh and then he goes there and they sort of have it out but of course the book is a little oblique about what happens or opaque about what happens mm-hmm. and then he runs away and because no one else saw it um and she dies without ever naming him um he is never like charged or gets in trouble or anything sure. even though mm-hmm. everybody knows that it was him <laughs> um and yeah joe is just this I don't know. He's an interesting guy that we spend some time with. Um, And it it is, I think, to Morrison's credit that when you first bring up a character, you're like, yeah, he stepped on his wife. Um, And then by the end of the book, you're like, I'm so happy for Joe. (laughs) Like, that's pretty (laughs) impressive. He stepped out on his wife. What? I'm so happy he stepped out on his wife. I'm not happy about that. I'm just happy. Uh They ultimately, their, their relationship does end the book stronger than the the book had it begin uh, doesn't, I mean, it doesn't sound like that would be very hard but sure i see what you mean i see like that's enough. one of the so so that sounds like one identifiable arc of what is going on yeah in the story i yeah. mean as as we talk more about violet are there other like what are the if you had to define, if you had to say, okay, this is what happens in this book. Yeah, sure. <laughs> like, it, does it does it revolve around Violet? Like, are we are we saving like the main character for last, or is it mostly like a Joe thing, I or think is it? Yeah, it's mostly it... Joe and Violet with a little bit of a lean to Violet. I'd say, okay, personally for my own read, till the, till Violet. Yeah, the other two, the the two arcs other than hey, what happened to Dorcas and 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 what is going to happen to the other people in this little love triangle thing um, are the two kind of backstories to Joe and, and Violet. And like I said, part of Joe's is you get some of his history growing up as a young boy and other people in his life. And so you're in this era of jazz optimism but you, the book is constantly reminding you of like you know the other hardship that these folks came from and what drove them to be the people that they were and and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. You get the in the latter half of the book, you get the completion of Joe's backstory of him um, may or may not finding out about his mom and and the kind of unfulfilled quest that he goes on to to learn more about her. Mm-hmm. Um, Violet is also uh, an orphan. So all three of these main characters are orphans uh, in their own way. Um, Violet was older when her when her mother died, but her mother took her own life after her dad just kind of left them and signed off everything that they owned to like other, I think it was white men in the community, but I could be misremembering. Mm-hmm. And the first were introduced to this backstory for Violet is her mom sitting at like a kitchen table and the men literally taking the table and chair out from under her and she falls on the floor. Like it's that, that type of (laughs) image. Mm -hmm. Um, And so Violet's backstory involves um, her mom's mom coming in. This woman, Truebell comes in and kind of takes over the family and um, sets things right. And then Violet's mom knowing that her, 
kids are in better hands, uh, takes her own life and just leaves her family behind, which is very mm-hmm. dramatic. Um, the other part of Violet's story is this interesting intersection with Joe's backstory where uh, Violet's grandmother was enslaved, worked for this family, and this the daughter of this you know slave owner, uh, Vera Louise, she got pregnant by Hunter's Hunter, I think. Henry La- Henry Lacroix, not Hen- it's not Lacroix, sure. but yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, so th- then she disappears, and there's this other character named Golden Gray, who is her son, who was raised by Violet's grandmother, and he didn't know until he was much older that he wasn't white, mm-hmm. that he was mixed. Mm-hmm. And then he is also a racist, so that's fun for him. Neato. Um, and he, we get, th- like, the kind of the one story that is not one of these three characters is, like, a this little chapter on, on Golden Gray and what it is for him to, he does he think he's going to go kill his dad? He, he thinks he knows who his dad is. He's going to go hunt him down and find him. That's where we get introduced to Wild. This is where you're like, Craig, what are you talking about? You said you were going to talk about Violet. And I'm like, yeah, but the book is jazz, baby. And I'm talking to you about Golden Gray, a character <laughs> you've never even heard of yet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and th- that chapter is really compelling because it has a lot of the danger that you think maybe if you got a different novel's version of the Dorcas story, you would be in, you'd be like, oh, I'm, it's really tense. It's really like, what is going to happen? She already told you what was going to happen with that. Like that doesn't yeah, have the same. Yeah, you're going to cut a corpse face. Yeah. What what is going on with the Golden Gray stuff is like you don't know any of these characters. You don't know what's going to happen in them. You don't know if is this man who you know, uh, is like showing up maybe going to kill his father. Is that going to happen? And like that that stuff is really compelling because she's created this space where she can. Uh, where you don't know what's going mm-hmm. on within a mm-hmm. book where you think you do, which is kind of fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, but Violet as a character, uh, and this will probably kind of bring us home. Sure, yeah. She is really, she moved to the city and somewhere not long after they got there, um, fell into some sort of depression. The book is not using clinical language. So like I hesitate to diag to try and diagnose her i'm not a jazz musician nor am i some sort of medical doctor um so the the language the book uses is that violet will fall into cracks Mm -hmm. and you know engage in kind of you know behavior that is unexpected Mm -hmm. kind of say things that are hard to understand she in her own brain, as the narrator tells us, is maybe kind of perceiving herself as two different people. Like there's Violet and then there's that Violet. Mm-hmm. That Violet is the one who slashed Dorcas's face. That Violet is also the Violet who like randomly sat down in the street because she needed to one day. And when mm-hmm. people tried to move her, she just laid down and cried. Uh, <laughs> that Violet is also the Violet who like, took a young girl's baby sister uh 
like down the block and may everyone thought that she had kidnapped her and maybe she mm-hmm. did get, kidnap her who knows who can say who can jazz say? baby they never had a kid <laughs> improvising well and like, like kidnappings uh-huh it's this really like if i think about it too hard it's kind of stressful but the the older sister like had this little baby with her and was like, oh, I'm supposed to go somewhere, and I forgot this record upstairs. So she goes mm-hmm. upstairs, and it's like, hey, lady, can you just watch my like baby kid, my my, my baby sibling in the stroller real quick? I'm going to run upstairs and get my favorite record. And comes back, and the lady and the baby are gone. And Violet has taken this baby somewhere else. And everyone kind of first reaction is like, kid, why did you leave your baby? sister with this lady you don't know (laughs) and then they find violet with the kid and like you know you through the narrator know that this is maybe connected to violet's feelings about her marriage and how they never had children and who knows Mm -hmm. but she's also able to be like i just took the baby for a walk the dumb kid went upstairs to get a record you don't know i'll give it back here fine Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so the, the two violets is is a thing that um, kind of tells you a lot about what you need to know about how she experiences all the Dorcas stuff where she uh, is mad at Joe. She's madder at Dorcas, but also kind of mystified and curious about both of them. Mm-hmm. She winds up spending a lot of time with Dorcas's Aunt Alice and they don't become friends, but they do just like develop an interesting relationship where they can have kind of frank conversations with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the end of the book, what what made Violet really kind of pop for me was you get this other character, Felice, I think her name is, who mm-hmm. is Dorcas's friend. Okay. And she shows up on, the, on Joe and Violet's doorstep a few months after, I think it's a few months after Dorcas has died. And like Dorcas had a ring of hers that her mother had given her. And she wants to know if maybe they came into possession of it or something. And they take to her. She starts having longer conversations with them. Mm -hmm. And there's through meeting her and like having to talk to this young girl about themselves, you you get to see that their relationship is healing. But the book doesn't give you a like. And then Joe and Violet sat down and talked about what happened, which I thought was very impressive that through the eyes of this other young woman you see that their relationship is like going on a on a better direction mm-hmm. obviously a woman is dead and that is terrible yeah. um mm-hmm. but the book has some sort of optimism for joe and violet that you that i i was very impressed that it didn't give me what the type of scene I would expect. And I think yeah. that is a big thing in, in this book that sets mm-hmm. it up. Cause it, yeah, it's easy given the start of it and the, the relationship that exists between these two characters at the start of the book, it's easy to imagine it like this is in a, you know, bad status quo and we're going to watch it deteriorate over the course of yep. this book for, for it to go another direction yep. feels like defying expectations in, in the same way that, uh, I think the inspiration of the novel, this this photograph of this young woman who has died and refuses to name her her lover as the killer. When you do finally get that scene from Dorcas, like she dies thinking of Joe, she refuses to tell anybody what has happened, 
And yes, Felice tried to call an ambulance, but they they're not coming because black people called and they're white ambulance drivers and they're not going to show up. Um, and I don't know. Dorcas loved that guy enough to be like, I don't need him to face punishment. I understand. You know, this was some this was part of our love together. I don't know. It's it's a it's a thing that is sad and tragic. And that's what Morrison is exploring. Um but it is of a piece with the same love that can lead to like, you know, Joe and Violet finding each other again in a way mm-hmm. that's weird. I don't know. Um, two passages I just want to read because I think the writing is really strong. Yeah, yeah. You'd read a couple of passages before where it's we we do that sometimes with books where we like, yes, I've I've chosen this passage to illustrate a point that I'm talking about, but also the way that these words go together just just so good yes Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the word's good um good sometimes words words good um both of these are actually coming from the golden gray section which again i i mention as a thing that is not part of that summary you know that summary paragraph that outlines the way the whole novel is going to go um and so it's kind of neat that these now that i think about it that those what stuck with me um, Andrew, this is the jazzest sentence I found in the book <laughs> in the in the classical joke that we make way. All right. Uh-huh. You ready? Yes. Mm-hmm. So this is Golden Gray finally confronting his father. This is them f- meeting for the very first time. And uh, Hunter has walked through the door and discovered um, this man who looks, you know, he, he's passing white um, mm-hmm. in his house. Do we know one another? Hunter thought the sir he left out was as loud as a bang, but the man didn't hear it because he had a bang of his own. No, daddy, we don't. No, daddy. I just like that he left out a sir, which, you know, he thinks he's talking to a white man who would expect him to say sir, and it's about the words he didn't say, Andrew. Mm-hmm. It was a bang. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's pretty no, good. I get it. I get it. It's, it's good. It's jazz. Jazz um, by Toni Morrison. I did really like... Um, this is I, I don't know that I I like morally like Golden Gray as a character, um, but I found his stuff very compelling. He has he's talking about his um, not knowing his father growing up. Mm-hmm. And I just think the language here is really powerful. Only now he thought, now that I know I have a father, do I feel his absence, the place where he should have been and was not before mm-hmm. I thought everybody was one armed like me. Now I feel the surgery, the crunch of bone when it is sundered, the sliced flesh and tubes of blood cut through, shocking the blood run and disturbing the nerves. They dangle and writhe, singing pain, waking me with the sound of itself, thrumming when I sleep so deeply it strangles my dreams away. There is nothing for it but to go away from where he is, not to where he used to be and might be still. And no, I am not angry. I don't need the arm, but I do need to know what it could have been like to have had it. It's mm-hmm. a phantom I have to behold and be held by in whatever crevices it lies under whatever branch. Um, speaking as somebody who grew up pretty estranged from his father, I was really like, oh, dang. <laughs> like, just <laughs> the the power of the imagery of, you know, it being an arm. And that's not a, a metaphor I've not heard of before in terms of loss or being estranged from someone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But just the... The way it motivates this guy, even though as you are introduced to this character, it is like motivating him to potentially, you know, racialized violent murder. 
mm-hmm. um you do have Morrison being like, yeah, man, but he needs to know what he could have been like to have a dad. You're like, yeah. okay, Morrison, mm-hmm. dang it. Take wow. your Nobel Prize and go home, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Take your prize and get out of here, Tony Morrison. A struck author me funny of, to close author us of out. Jazz author of Jazz by Tony Morrison. <laughs> Uh, struck me funny to take us out. Um, this is a band that Dorcas liked. This is a sentence I thought was pretty good. Um, the band she likes. Slim Bates's Ebony Keys, which was pretty good except for his vocalist, who must be his woman since why else would he let her insult his band? Mm-hmm. <laughs> good one, Tony. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, this book is jazz, baby. That's all I have to say. Yeah, no, that's a good... That's a good... <laughs> It's a good summary. I I like that as a summary. We should we should really we should end most shows talking about whether a book was Jazz Baby or not. Oh man. And I think this one makes it easy by being called Jazz by Tony Morrison, but yeah. you know, is Percy Jackson and the Titans Curse is that Jazz Baby? I don't know that it is, but I bet there are other books that we have read that are Jazz Baby. Oh, I'm for certain that there are mm-hmm. books we've read that are Jazz Baby. Yeah. I'm Jazz Baby. If there are books that we've read that you're pretty sure that they are Jazz Baby, send us an email over to pod at gmail.com with the subject line Jazz Baby, and you can tell us <laughs> which books you think are jazz. Um, Can't or... wait to set up the Gmail filter for this subject line <laughs> because we are um, so inundated with responses. Or tell us about which Morrison I should read next next time I get a a yen to go read some Tony Morrison for the show. Um, find us on social media. We're trying to be the most active at Overdue Pod on uh, Blue Sky and Instagram. Thanks to Riley, May, John, Danny, Sarah, and more for reaching out in the past week. Our theme song is composed by Nick Larangis. Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where do they go? Overduepodcast.com is our internet website. Up there we have the books that we have read and are going to read. Our March schedule will be up soon. I'll let Craig tell you about it in a minute. Yep. Um, we also have our Patreon page, patreon.com slash overdue pod visit. Uh, you could give any amount of money that you want to support the show and help us buy books, help us buy equipment, help us send our children to, to daycare and preschool. Yeah. Um, and you can, you get to sit in our discord server. You get to, uh, listen to us record bonus episodes. You get to, uh, get, episodes of our long read projects early right now that continues to be the Iliad uh, as translated by Emily Wilson. We mm-hmm. published an interview that we did with her up on our Patreon page recently, which we're not going to be putting out on the main feed for a while. If you want to yep. get that again, exclusive, Patreon, exclusive, pew, 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 uh, patreon.com slash overdue pod. Craig, what are we reading in March? Yeah. So next week, the, the screw tape letters by CS Lewis. Uh, then we have a poll running that's going to determine the next slot, but uh, currently the Trumpet of the Swan and For Whom the Bell Tolls are tied. Ooh. So if you are listening to this as it is releasing and you want to weigh in on patreon.com, so show pod, go head on over there. If you're in line, stay in line. <laughs> <laughs> um, both of them are handily beating Player Piano by Kurt Vonnegut. The theme is instruments, very jazz-like. Um then they're there by <laughs> but, it's all, but the theme also was like instruments and marching band well, was like the idea but i couldn't find but enough also, of them a lot of the instruments also used in jazz 
Yeah. So that's a good. It's a good synergy. Then they're there Daddy-o. by Tommy Orange. Um, and then closing out the month with Fight Club by Chuck Palunic. Palu. Mm-hmm. I'll look that up before we do that episode. <laughs> okay, that's a good time to look to up. make sure I know it's Palahunik or if it's something else. Um, but yeah, we'll talk about those books and oh dang, if you're listening to this as it releases, we have a bonus stream that Andrew talked about earlier. We're doing our Nancy Drew sequel episode coming up in a few days on February 29th. Ooh. So if you want to come join us for that, patreoncom pod. and it'll All be right. on the main feed a few weeks later. That's right, it. everybody. Cool. Jazz, yeah, baby. Thank you so much for, for listening to us blow. Oh, man. <laughs> Daddy-o. Until we talk to you next week, please try to be happy. No, just like, did we both think that the other one was going to I think in so. Yeah, mm-hmm. You know, it's your it's your solo this time. You know, it's like my, you, yeah, sure. Step forward. You play it's about the it's about the it's about it's about the intros. You don't prepare. Yeah, it really is. We do jazz. We might tighten this up a little bit.